0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Inside Movies Galore. I'm your host, David Streggy, and at this point in time in our 11th episode, um, I asked director uh, Jay Antonio and uh, actor um, um, Timothy Cox from New York uh, to uh, join me on an episode discussing Taxi Driver, and uh, about their, uh, their dealings with films in their li- lives, and to me, this is kind of a special episode, even though Timothy uh, uh, Timothy Cox I'm no longer fr- uh, uh, friends with, I, I still enjoyed this conversation, and I would have enjoyed uh, future conversations uh, with uh, Mr. Cox, but he chose to go his separate ways, and uh, I respect that, so... Uh, enjoy the interviews and uh, enjoy the discussion. It was a very good one. Uh, thank you so much. What's your favorite scary movie?
1: Fear is defined as a feeling of agitation
2: caused by the presence or imminence of danger. You are so alive. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? Most
0: people are so unpleasant. I'm so sorry to be alone. What do you want? From
3: me? A last fire will rise behind those
1: eyes. Black house will.
4: presence in the house with me. We can't hurt you if you don't
5: believe. I suggest
4: you leave
2: that house.
3: Do it, Gordon. You. What do you
5: do?
3: It's
0: not even real. Um, this is uh, 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 Once again, welcome. Um uh, this is Inside Movies Galore. This is episode 12, and uh, the first thing we have here, uh, folks, is an interview with director Jay Anthony and um, uh, actor Timoth- uh, Timothy Cox. Tim, um, uh, Jay, um, welcome to the show. Oh, thank, um, you. thank you. Thank you. So I understand in November um, you have a film coming out. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first and how you got involved in the film industry and uh, uh, how you came up with your idea?
3: Oh, wow. Let's see. Let's see. How we start about myself? Well, uh, first off, I'm a a guy from Jamaica, Queens, New York. Uh, My name is Jay Antonio. I'm a writer-director. And... uh, this is a crazy, crazy, crazy business, and I'm <clears throat> happy for you to give me an opportunity to talk about my film. Uh, hello to everyone out there that's listening. Uh, so where do we begin? I, I will say that um, I started out wanting to just be a writer, just write novels and comic books, and it was really, really uh, tough to get published. And then I saw all these opportunities with video production uh, on YouTube and everything else, and I said, okay, uh, maybe, I can do some short films and maybe a movie and then go into actually writing novels, which is what, what i rather do. Uh, so I'd say I was in college studying English and minor in economics when at my school, John Jay College, there were so many productions going on. It was literally, you're walking through the hallway and there's Kevin Bacon. There's, there's Jamie Foxx. <laughs> there, 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 I was a big fan of White Collar. So there was the White Collar cast in, in, in maybe 20 feet from where I was. So I went to the administration okay. doing a town hall meeting, and I told them in front of everybody, hey, how come you guys have all these Hollywood people using our campus? Can't the students use the campus to shoot? Luckily for me, and here's a, here's a tip for anyone that's listening, you always want to be the only one in, in the area you're doing something that's really unique. So I was the only student at a school that wanted to do film because everyone in that school wanted to do criminal justice. So here, here I was making short films alongside Hollywood productions. It was really funny. I was actually fighting for space at the school with some production companies. So, so the, school, the school was happy that some student actually wanted to use the school. So they gave me some money to hire some outside uh, people. And I did two short films at the school. I had to use uh, actors from the college. So I didn't bring anyone from the outside, but I could bring crew. Cause there wasn't anyone in the school that was skilled enough to help me shoot. So I did two short films, and then after I graduated, I did a music video. And then after studying the game, studying the game for a while and seeing what you know how everyone does it, the, the 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 game for breaking into film has been the same for a while. It's basically do a short film, enter it into a few festivals, get a buzz off your short film, and hopefully that short film leads to you making a feature. I didn't want to wait. So, I wrote a feature, and I tried to get it funded, and I needed a lot of money so that that feature was was the one that's sitting for my next film. I needed to make something quick and simple, but you know interesting enough so working as a night doorman for the past maybe ten years, uh, a lot of people during my years would mm. say to me, "You should make a film about this, you should uh do some vignettes, you should do something, and I never really wanted to do it because It was my day job. The last thing I wanted to do was make a movie about, you know, where I work. But I don't know. It just happened one night. Two women happened to be arguing in front of me about noise. And I said, wait a second. There is a story here. There is a very deep, (laughs) you know, there is a deep connection here. There's something magical happened in front of me that I need to put on screen. So it was last. That happened around last January. And then I went and I started watching Clerks and clerk gave me, kevin smith's clerks gave me the model to do the whole film I, I just watched how he did it with his friends and i read about how he funded it and everything and what i respect about um kevin smith versus all the other guys that came up he didn't do it without an older producer a lot of guys when you read about even uh spike lee uh scorsese they all had an older um producer that was like a teacher at their school a name Not even or a, a name,
0: name you
3: know yeah a name but mostly for them they had a mentor uh, and Kevin Smith didn't have any mentor, and I don't have a mentor. I have a lot of people in my life that I could ask for questions, but I didn't have anybody right by my side. So I really, I really attached to everything he did. So for me, it was, I'll write this movie about a night doorman's first night on the job and all the crazy things that happens in New York. So that, that's basically what I did back in, in February. And then we went through March, April, May, June, trying to get funding, trying to get the location, trying to get the actors. So that was a process in itself. And every step of the way was a lot of roadblocks. So I was really lucky to get the film made, much less have it coming out soon. So And uh, shout-out to Amazon and uh, Vimeo because they open up a platform for people who, who don't always get into the festivals and you don't really have an opportunity to get into a, a screen, a theater. So with, with the, the online uh, services, you can actually upload your movie and build your audience because I know I have an audience. I wouldn't get into this if I didn't know I had all the building workers that would be into the movie, that's like my main audience. That's what I tell everybody before you write something and create it. I mean, you should have a passion for what you're doing, but you got to be serious and think: if someone's going to invest in my product. Is there an audience for it? Are there people who are going to sit there and give me their time? Forget about money. People waste money all the time, but time is—I mean, time is something that you know you're asking for, and you got to be willing to really when you're going to engage in that person. You don't want to hear them say, "Oh my God, I just wasted." you know, hour of my life on your film or something. So that's, that's the last thing I ever want to hear from anyone. So yeah, that's basically me. Uh, this is my first movie coming out. I got plans to start my own studio and do a lot more. I've been reading up on Soderbergh. He has a really, really cool uh, plan for his stuff. So I've been uh, trying to reach out to him and talk to him about what he's planning to do because I want to take away the power from the studios, give it back to the artists, and uh, just make fun movies that are interesting. All right.
0: Did you have any problems working with your cast and crew? Did you have any? um, um, uh, Did everything run smoothly enough uh, for you?
3: Um, I would say the way I I planned it, because all actors, when they come on set, they're used to being on there for long hours and they are used to having this artistic director who is very, you know, pushy and bossy. And I didn't want to do that to them. A lot of my actors didn't know me. Uh, We met very shortly before the shoot. And I told them all straight up, you're not going to be on set more than four hours. You're going to come in an hour before. You're going to run your lines with my producer. You're going to do your hair and makeup while you're running your lines. And then when you come on set, I won't keep you more than an hour. You're uh, going to rehearse. We're going to block you. And a lot of the times, most of the scenes ran for like 15, 20 minutes. Because the way I did the takes, being that I I was so low budget and and I didn't have a lot of time on the set that I was using... I only did uh, two takes. I'm th- sorry, three shots, two takes. So uh, two, two wide, two medium, two close-ups. So every actor, that's <laughs> all we basically did, and there weren't many cuts. It was just one constant um, okay. long, long shot, and so that that was the plan. So a lot of the actors were pretty cool. I I wouldn't say I had many problems with the with the actors or the crew. I would say I had it in the building where. I was using because the people lived there weren't happy with anyone coming and filming on the premises (laughs) and uh and the fact that we weren't allowed to bring a lot of equipment they didn't look at us like we were legit because they didn't see the big trucks they didn't see a big team they saw just a small crew and and a few actors so they thought oh this is some college production let's let's really railroad them so so and and then even getting into the location was difficult where the people told me if at any time you you stop uh, any of our residents or anything, we're gonna kick you off this out of the building. So I had to be, I had to take everything on the chin.
0: Okay. So um, uh, now you you mentioned something about um uh, the actors bringing their own make uh, makeup. D- uh, now did they mostly bring their own makeup or no, uh, did they actually makeup. have a makeup person on set?
3: No, I had a makeup person. I'm saying they did their hair and makeup while they were rehearsing their lines. It was the first hour they came in and. We touched them up and and they'd be also going over the lines while getting their hair and makeup done okay but, yes, I, was, I
0: was just asking because some people uh, don't some people do uh, do have uh, hair, hair and makeup people that, uh, that are on the set and whatnot so uh, so it, it all depends upon your budget too so yes yeah, yeah. uh, so. I got
3: I got lucky I was able to get a camera person an AC I got an ad I had a producer. Uh, I should shout their names out if, in case. So my my main producer was Una Petrovic. So her and I started the whole project together. And then I had Magda. That's her last name. I can't remember her last name right. Magda was my hair and makeup person. And Magda Suriel. Suriel. Oh, Suriel. Yeah. I was, I, was on, I was on my tongue. Magda Suriel was my hair and makeup. It was a very small crew. So basically, my camera guy was Valentin uh, Valentine Furcash. I had my sound person Jennifer Hamala. My makeup person. And then after that, it was just the producer, myself, and an AD. My AD was uh, Liria Salani. And that was it for the crew. And the rest of it was just actors. OK. We would just go, going, going skeleton crew all the way.
0: Sounds cool. Um... Did you um, did you uh, have fun uh, making it? And uh, did you uh, um, have any favorite scenes from the film that uh, that you wanted to express? I know I know it's coming out in November, and I know you don't really want to say, say too much of of uh, the uh, the film. Uh, but uh, why don't you give us a favorite scene?
3: I think uh, I definitely had fun making it, although it was uh, very testing at times. But favorite scene, I'd probably say looking back on it I always change my mind but right now because uh probably because Tim is here I think Tim scene was pretty funny because Tim's <laughs> Tim Tim comes in and he uh he he has this big argument that's pretty funny and when he that's <laughs> when he walks off what he says to the guy it really it really really sticks with me so Tim scene is pretty interesting because that's one of the scenes I actually lived through myself personally so that was uh writing this film there was some from personal experience but mostly from other stories I heard rolling around with other guys, so I'd probably say Tim's scene where he has an interaction with the doorman and the locksmith, and things try to kind of blow up <laughs> right in front of the doorman's face so that, that was fun okay. to do
1: that was a lot of fun
3: <laughs> well um uh,
0: what is the name of your production company I know um I, I know i uh tend to forget that uh, things here so uh, uh, but uh, what is the name uh, uh, that it, uh, um
3: uh, uh, sacred uh, uh, yeah sacred 9 Films. so sacred s a c r e d the number 9 and films and that's named after the nine greek muses i was in english class and uh, i would read i was reading about <clears> all the uh, the writers and poets in the 17th century and they would go into the forest and they would invoke the muses and they would call them okay. every time before they wrote something they they would call upon the muses to inspire them and i started looking like who the hell into who the hell these muses are <laughs> so i looked into the <laughs> Nine muses <laughs> and I was like, "Oh wow, they look good." Nine women giving me inspiration. I'm with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, my so when I sit down to write in my crib, I call these women. I say, "Yo, surround me and whisper in my ear what the world wants to you know know about." So,
2: say <laughs> yeah.
0: well, um muse. Uh, well, also on the show we have Tim, who actually um, acted in uh, this film. Tim, welcome to the show
1: thank you thank you for having me. um everybody um i,
0: I uh the uh, the the reason why i wanted you uh, you here on the show, uh, show is because you have also been in many other short films as, uh, as well besides being in this film uh, uh, but first i'm going to ask you about um how your experience uh, was on uh, working with um Jay antonio uh, knowing that it was his first film and whatnot um did you have fun? Did you? Uh, 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 and uh, why don't we begin with uh, you begin again in f- uh, film?
1: Where uh, I began. Well, I tell us a little bit
0: about yourself.
1: I'm originally from Philadelphia, and I have lived in New York since 2001. And uh, when I moved here, all I ever wanted to be was a good supporting actor in the theater, doing Shakespeare and Chekhov and all of that kind of thing. And that's what I did exclusively uh-huh. from about. 2001 to like 2010 with an occasional film appearance but i was never happy with myself uh, in film and then around 2010 um i auditioned for a film called uh socks and cakes it was a new york film academy mfa uh project and uh it was a good script, a uh, really interesting character. Good. Um, it was from an Italian, really interesting Italian director named Antonio Padavan. and um, it turned out to be really good. And then it was going to festivals and getting some nice press. And I thought, oh, I maybe it'll be like this all of the time. And pretty much since then, two thousand ten, I've almost exclusively done uh, film working. Uh, I'm you know supporting our supporting character kind of parts you know lots of dads lawyers doctors uh, cops the occasional serial killer and uh, <laughs> and um i met jason he he posted something on um queen's filmmakers uh, which is a, a facebook page and i saw the posting for the film and i submitted and and he where he was having i i met him at his office which was not far from my home and went in and I liked his enthusiasm. And he showed me the script. And the thing that really sold me also was that he showed me a couple of scenes from the film. He showed me there's a deli scene that uh, Jason Torres and Lester Green and uh, many of the other actors appear in. And I loved just, um, it just reminded me of Clerks and it reminded me of um Jim Jeremish films like Night on Earth and uh oh god, what's another oh Coffee and Cigarettes. And um just based on what I saw and on Jason's enthusiasm, and I liked the character. I knew that there was a lot of comic potential uh for this kind of character. The character I play is this rather irascible, a guy who goes from zero to ten in seconds and i just you know people in new york who um they're in their kind of own universe very egocentric very uh selfish and all he wants to do is just come in and you know kind of lock his girlfriend out and of course he has to get his key and poor jason torres um you know has to (laughs) be in the middle of all of this uh Mm -hmm. drama but uh no, I mean exactly like Jason said. Like we we would get to set, and it was funny. It was kind of a revolving door. Like as I was coming in, there were actors who had finished their scenes and and they were leaving. But I had a chance to meet Brandon Shaw, and you know I know I know uh, Bob Youngren who played the priest and Vincent Ford, and um, it was exciting and it was kind of fun. It was it was kind of like uh, in, like a little like repertory theater in a way. You know, you're just kind of off in the wings, you know, waiting for your moment to go on. And, <laughs> uh, you know, they did your makeup, you ran the lines, and uh, once you went on and did it, uh, like Jason said, you know, we, we did it a couple of times. And I appreciated it because we were able to just go through the entire scene. So you developed okay. a rhythm. A mu- when you're doing a scene, whether it's in theater or in film, you want to find there's music. There's, it's like jazz. And when it's cooking, it, it's, it's the greatest feeling in the world. And if you don't have um, like when the way Woody Allen shoots his films, he doesn't do a lot of close ups. He'll shoot an entire 10 minute scene, you know, just in like, uh, you know, wide shot. And it's because it's just less about the close-ups and just more about, you know, the actors in the situation and telling the story. Jason was trying to go for, I think, the same thing. And, yeah, we just did it a couple of times. I got okay. to yell at uh, some people and, uh, you know, and uh, that was it. And uh, had a blast doing it.
0: Alrighty, righty. Um, I'm going to bring K- uh, KJ in here for a moment. He had, some, uh, had a, f- a few of the f- uh, 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 films uh, that um, uh, I actually – Sent over a few of the uh, uh, films for him to watch, so, uh, so that he could uh, gain a little bit perspective. And uh, he expressed some interest in uh, interviewing you for a moment. Oh. Uh, KJ, uh, why don't you go ahead and um, uh, ask him about some of the films that uh, uh, you're interested in learning about?
6: Sure, uh, Mr. Cox is nice to meet you. Also, likewise, yeah, is also nice to meet you too, and very interesting listening to you. Um, <clears throat> the first questions I do have for you. Timothy, are when you get into a role, what is your process?
1: It's it's different for every character. Um, the thing that's always where you start it's always the script. Um, I'll give you an example. You know, with a, a if a Simple Mind, I played a um, a serial killer. Mm-hmm. This was something that was completely different than anything I'd ever done. Um, but it's it always comes down to the quality of the writing and you start with that and basically you just try to you, you find objectives what's the character fighting for what's their objective what do they want and it's um, and a lot of people think that it's it's a it, those are just kind of basic things but it's all about being specific scene if I'm in a scene with a young woman and the basic objective is he wants to ask her out on a date, you gotta go deeper. You, you, you dig a little deep. He not only wants to date her, I want this woman to be the mother of my children. And so, you know, you do <laughs> you play, and that's how you can play. When you, the more specific you are, um, the more grounded and more fruitful the work is. And so with me, in in the end, the process. It always starts with, I always go with the script there. And then a lot of the times, it's um, planet imagination. Um, A lot of the kinds of, uh, when you're a character actor, if the script is good, your job is, a large portion of your job is already done. The thing, night job, for example, the character of Mr. Jones, it was very clear on the page who this guy is. So all I had to do was just show up and not mess it up. And a, a, big, a big thing also is listening, 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 listening. Listening, I think, uh, as far as an actor, it's probably the largest portion of what it is because, and it's listening. And as far as there are actors like, you know, they'll get a script and be like, well, my God, this guy, he only has two, pa- two lines of dialogue. But right. you can say pages of dialogue in a look. In a term, I mean, go back and watch anything that Gene Hackman has ever done or Spencer Tracy or Kathy Bates. Those are, I mean, you watch them. And so, but it's different with every, uh, with every role. And that's, that's kind of the fun part. It's kind of like a little detective work.
6: Now, was Night Job your first feature?
1: Um, no, I did, um, I did a film called uh, Argyle a couple of years ago, I guess it was about seven, eight years ago. And it was a feature film, but what the producers of the film took, there was a 10 minute portion from that film that they <laughs> cut and re-edited as a short film, which is called Gundersons. And um, I, mean, I'm ama- I mean, I'm amazed that they did that. I mean, I was very flattered, by, but because uh, it's a very, very funny little short film. But Argyle was probably the first uh, feature film that I worked on, which I did in about two thousand nine, two thousand ten, but uh certainly night job of uh of feature films. It's certainly the one I mean it's getting a very nice reaction. We have a very nice solid fan base on social media, Facebook. I think we have
3: over what, fifteen
1: thousand followers, We're about to I think
3: 15, or fifteen thousand by tomorrow, I believe. We're wow. at eight hundred and something. <laughs> Ooh ah very nice. Very nice. Well,
6: I do want to ask you and um, Mr. J. Antonio both a question that I think both of you probably encounter a lot. How important really is it for the director and the actor to truly be on the same page?
3: Um, It's super important, but I will say sometimes you got to let the actor do their thing. Um, I've, uh, I've worked with over 50 actors on this one movie alone. And what I found very interesting was the skilled actors don't like improv. The skilled actors come in who want to just re- give, give, be given lines, be mm-hmm. told how you want them to be. And then the ones that are really new to the game, they want to do improv. And some of them aren't good at doing improv. But the main thing was, it's, it's a team effort. So you can't just walk, into a per- walk up to a person you aren't so much familiar with and say, I want you to be this and do that. Sometimes it's really good to say, what do you think about this character? How do you feel that you would approach it i i'll tell you what i want but i want to listen to what you think that you uh you know think you should how you should portray the actor sometimes they're a little too far off and i tell them no that's not what i'm going for but a lot of times people impressed me and i let them roll with how they want it to be and they had more fun that way
1: i think the big thing is i mean the director and the actor need to be on the same page because um in the end, the actor is trying to present the director's vision. It's kind of like, you know, the, the, the director is kind of the painter, and, you know, the actor is just like one of the instruments and pieces uh, of, of the whole kind of uh, the painting. My thing is uh, with me, in the case of Night Job, I mean, I, um, you know, you, you know, you, you know the lines, but you know them so well so that when you get on set, you know, you take in the energy of the set, the energy of the room, the energy, um, and you always you try to leave some room open for spontaneity, um, things that happen because, you know, the, that's when the wonder, that's when the magic happens, like the happy accidents. If um, you know, if uh, that, and that's when it's fun. And the thing is, for me, my performance in Night Job came from Jason, really from just because he was so earnest and so uh, nice and polite that it actually kind of made me mad that, like, you know, I have a genuine problem here. And, like, Jason's kind of very nice demeanor actually kind of made me mad and kind of fed. So I think... You're talking about
3: Jason Torres, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, right.
1: So what you're given also, and just if you remain open, but I think also just trying to you know uh, deliver what the what the director in, initially intended on the written page, but try to blow it up a little, make it fun
0: well, from what I understand be, being an actor, um you kind of have to improv a little bit at times too um, uh, with uh, certain roles. Have you had to do a lot of improving or uh, did uh, did the directors have more of a direction that you had to go um, you know- in?
1: There's a funny thing I I think about improvisation. Um, Most people, I think, when they do improvisation, they automatically try to be funny. Um, The thing about really, really good improvisation is, um, and very few people are, I mean, you know, when you think of like the Christopher Guest and people like that, they don't just think of that off the top of their head. They rehearse weeks and weeks and weeks and they say, okay, well, this works. That doesn't work. Um, There's a great story uh, on the set of In the Heat of the Night. They were shooting for a couple of weeks and Norman Jewis and the director realized that there was not a, a really major scene between Rod Steiger and Sidney Poitier. And I said, you got like two heavy hitters here. They got to have like a, a really big scene, a scene where they're not yelling at each other, a scene where like, you know, you learn a little about these, the soul of these guys. So what they did is they got into a car. Norman Jewison was there. A script person was there out a pad and paper. And Sidney Partier and Rod Steiger improvised this scene. And Norman Jewison, like they went back and they thought, okay, we'll keep this, we'll keep that. You type it up. And then they gave it to him and they memorized it. And it's the scene in the film where Sidney Partier is at Rod Steiger's house mm-hmm. and Rod Steiger has, he has that wonderful moment where he just says, oh, don't, don't you just feel really lonely sometimes? And he's bearing his soul, which in, you know, in Mississippi, in Sparta, Mississippi in the 1960s, you know, a, a, a white uh, sheriff didn't do that with an African-American man. And then Sidney Partier says no more than you and rod steiger just ships right back in to don't get don't get smart boy and it was just it's a it's one of the most memorable scenes of the movie but that to me is an effective form of improvisation if you go on a film set and you just talk out of your ass you can't make a movie that way so what in some of the cases of the films i've done you do A couple of takes, in my experience, I found, like when I've worked with Sean Meehan, uh, who's a guy I've worked with, I think, six or seven times since 2010.
0: Dial tone pictures?
1: uh, Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Dial tone is... uh, uh, Sean is uh, Cross River Pictures. He did Total Performance. And what Sean will have us do, we'll do a couple of scenes as written. And then occasionally, from time to time, he'll say, he'll give you a freebie. And they may not even use anything in that but as the actor you feel kind of free and sometimes it's uh sometimes it's crap most of the time it is crap but (laughs) as an actor it's kind of free to be able to do that but again most of the time if you have a good script you don't have to do any of that kind of stuff
0: okay um well uh the the actual first uh short film that that i actually got from you was actually called here lies joe aha uh-huh. uh, Um I figured I'd ask you about that uh, that one a little bit uh, a bit before we uh, um, before we move on to uh, a few other short films, and then we'll get to our uh, film discussion here. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. How is it uh, working with uh, the
1: director of Here Lies Joe?
3: And Mont- uh, what did you think,
1: Mark? Uh, and uh, go ahead. Oh yeah, no. Mark Battle, he he's uh, he's the director, and he co-wrote the script with uh, Pam Conway. And uh, no, it was a it, that was a wonderful experience. That that's another one of those, you know, that character of Bill. He's he's the head of a um, suicide anonymous group, where the two main characters, uh, Joe, played by Dean Temple, and uh, this very vivacious, energetic fireball uh z played by andy morrow meet the most unlikeliest of places for like you know a guy and a girl to meet and i just play this very genuinely sweet earnest uh guy who i think is um i think he's in a little in over his head he's in the movie for two minutes but that's an example of like when i read that script and i read that part and i thought oh my God, I got to do this. And that's the thing is, it it doesn't matter the size of the part. I mean, any good actor can make two lines feel like Hamlet. And that's, you know, because um, it, it's something like, there's just something when you read a script, whether it's a leading role or a supporting role, there's something that that jumps out at you. It's kind of like if it's a part that, well God, I know this person or I am this person. Or if the part scares me, um, that's even better. Okay. I mean, but uh the thing I liked about Bill and Here Lies Joe and working with Mark is that uh he was just a genuinely sweet, nice, very earnest, uh decent man.
6: Okay. Can I say one thing though? Um and it's going back to what you said um Mr. Cox earlier, and that is you are talking about sometimes certain actors. It can only be one or two lines, that they say. And it's really so good to the point where, I mean, you really remember that. Do you really like the fact – and I'm not trying to say this to, like, categorize you. You're like a character
1: actor. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah.
6: That throughout, like, Night go, Job. Or go ahead and categorize. Hours, <laughs> simple mind. I mean, you're like a character actor, like the Strzola Martin or the Jack
1: Elam or the – Oh, I mean, man. God, Oh, Honorable. Brother Martin, you're you're rattling off some classics there. Well, that's <laughs> from the time from the time I was started doing this work. Mm-hmm. I knew that I was a character actor from the time, like doing theater fourteen, like doing the Shakespeare stock characters. Because um, one of the things I I think it's really really important. The reason why I think I'm still uh, have a little bit of sanity is that I know where I fit. You know, right. we're, when you're an actor. This is a business where uh, it, it's it, sometimes it has less to do with your talent and how you look. And I'm five foot six, uh, I'm stocky, I wear glasses. I'm a character actor. But the reality is it's like you, know, like a lot of the actors that you rattled off, like Struther Martin and Jack Elam and people like that, those are guys that, you know, you look at their resumes. They got resumes that could choke a horse, because
6: <laughs> over 100.
1: Oh God. <laughs> All any actor really wants at the end of the day is to be able to wake up, go to a go to a set, go to a play rehearsal, and just do your job. Yeah, you know, I've never wanted to be a movie star or anything like that, because it's such a really unrealistic goal. So I'm definitely a character actor. And character roles I think are richer. I mean, you look at J.K. Simmons in Whiplash. I mean, you knew in the trailer that guy's that guy that guy's going to walk away with the movie and win every award that uh, is out there. Same thing, like you know when um, oh god, who's the um, you know when anything Kathy Bates or Patricia Clarkson, the character actors, because when you're a character actor, you're playing it's smart and you're playing the long game because it's about charting out a career it's not about well i want to do a, a reality tv show and you know and make mon- money and then you know be done in 5 years no you want to think about 20 30 40 50 years right. and you know you, about a life so yeah definitely uh, a character actor and i love it all right okay um what did you uh
0: what did you think about working with the uh, director Matthew Mahler um, uh, in the film uh, 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 called uh, what Jack built and uh,
1: Matt is uh, when I first worked with Matt, I think I worked with him on a film called dark romance in I've done three films with Matt. I've done dark romance, what Jack built. And recently we did another one called to be alone. And Matt, I think is 20, 21 years old when I first worked with him, I think he was fourteen or fifteen. This kid knows more <laughs> about movies and <laughs> you know, writing and directing and scoring. Um, he's a marvel. He's he's amazing to watch. And watch the thing that. about and and the thing also with especially to be alone, he, he has, has an, an ability. ability. He, has a he has a talent to kind of Almost to kind of look through you as an look actor, through you, you as an actor, and just know exactly, know exactly how, to and mold how to shape and mold you. you. And that's just, uh, and that's just uh, it's it's amazing to watch, and of, amazing course, to watch. and of course it's a marvel. Mean, I mean, it's a marvel. I mean, he's he's 20, 21 he's, he's years 20, old, and you know that you know that in 10, 15, 20, in 10, years, 20 years he's going to get even he's gonna better, be even better. So I love working with Matt. So I love working with Matt. Cool. Um, um. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh. Um.
0: Um. Uh. What? How? Uh, how?
1: Uh, did you, like working, did you on like working on?
0: Dirty books. Dirty
1: books. That, that. That's another one. That's another one. That's another one. Another one. I. I. Let's see. I, I finished. I finished. Here lies here Joe. Here lies Joe. And then went, to work, and then went to work on that the next weekend. The next weekend. Another great, Another great character, character, part. character part. And loved, and working, loved with working with Zach Lapierre and, 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 and uh, Matt uh, Rendini and, and, and Everhart. Really smooth, really solid, smooth solid, easygoing, easygoing fun, going, group, of fun guys. group of guys. Okay.
6: I do want to interject real quickly. Interject quick, quick, go ahead. One question. Go ahead. One question. And that is for and Mr. Cops, Because when I talked to him, the one thing that one I, really, thing that I really, was was really was not just your performance, but it was also, it was the, the, was also one the, the one. one, picture picture one. Picture one. Was, uh, Phil Newson. The way he shot you, Interjection? I did you have an interjection? if to you yeah, told him shoot Shooting from this side, and that side, yeah. and that yeah. also goes yeah, into another one. One, one, thing, one, 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 thing, guys, one,
1: one thing, guys. I'm, getting, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I'm able to I, hear, I myself hear myself when I talk, and when, when, when you guys are talking, I, it's, it's kind of like a double. Reverb? I, mean, reverb. I don't know what's happening. I do what's
2: <laughs> You're possessed. Oh, yes. um, yeah.
1: Everything everybody says is being repeated.
0: <laughs> repeated. Really
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. S- uh, sign, in s- uh, sign, sign in
3: and sign in. And out and sign out real quick.
0: Sign in. Sign out real quick.
3: All right. Right. Tim's Tim's computer is possessed. <laughs> 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 it sounds right.
2: like uh, now do you? Uh, sounds like he's got in in the, the interview you, on in the background. On in the background.
1: Let me just
4: test it, <laughs> here. Just test uh, it here. Tim's uh, watching himself. Oh
2: wait! Oh, yeah, yeah. How do you? See? It's happening to me too. What's going it's happening on? To me too. What's going on?
4: <laughs>
3: uh, well, um, I'll be right it's back. Jason's profile uh, is repeating it. it. Oh really? Yes. Yes. Where, where where should I click? Click that off.
4: Yeah, he's the only one yeah,
3: that he doesn't he's echo. He's the only one
4: that doesn't echo. Who's, who's. Maybe have Jason Maybe sign have out and, Jason sign back back and
3: sign back in. All right, I'm sorry. Let me okay. sign out. I'll be back.
1: Yeah, That's and cool. I just and I just came back in, uh, yes. not in. Not here in doubles now. So, right, cool. <laughs> Echo's but, gone. But uh, someone was asking about uh, I was, I was uh, asking Phil Newsome. about Phil Newsom. Yeah. Um,
6: and it was with Simple Minds. I love the way that he shot you. The different angles that he got you. I mean, really great. Did you have anything to do with that whatsoever? Or have you had that experience with a director where, you know, they ask you like how do you want me to shoot you or come look at the uh, dailies or anything that you shot and like D Dan should come here on you or there? Have you had that? And did that happen while you were shooting a simple mind?
1: No, I you know, he had um I just I I trust him. And that's mm-hmm. the thing is, you know, my job is to uh show up and play the part, you know, and I don't uh you know i don't tell the cameraman where to uh set up shots and stuff the thing about with that particular movie phil had and like a very like a hitchcock kind of a style and way the way he did the camera that just uh uh and i usually don't watch uh dailies and things like that uh just because you know i think that you know if you watch you kind of second guess kind of right. things and uh but uh now i i do it my big thing is that i try to give as many options in the editing room that they can play around with i mean there are a lot of things that you may do that uh may get completely thrown out but uh now i didn't uh no i didn't uh, it was all kind of i wanted to be surprised as much as uh you guys were in the audience <laughs>
0: hey um so um I'm gonna uh, only ask you about one more short film here and uh, then we're gonna take it over here to KJC if he has anything else and then we'll go uh, go on to the film discussion so sure. um, uh, one of my fa- a- a- a favorite shorts that you uh, sent me was actually choosing sides um, <laughs> uh, how I was love it, that
1: how,
0: how was how was it? Um, uh, working with uh, your fellow actress there.
1: Uh, Rachel Rachel Jackson uh, was wonderful. Rachel and I, we had actually met, I guess like a couple of months before, we had worked on a, a spec commercial, and I was playing like a shrink, and she was a, a wife, and it was another actor, actor who was a husband. So when we kind of got together for this, it was like, oh, and uh, it, it's another example of just something that was really funny, incredibly well written we we shot that on a sunday afternoon in an apartment okay. in uh of uh, of central park west and i just remember being in the apartment we were not allowed to touch anything because you know it's it's a lot of money in those uh in those <laughs> apartments and you know us, us supporting actors we don't have a lot of it so uh but uh no i mean that was uh that was a lot of fun i mean lee uh really marvelous marvelous director in yale who who wrote the um the script it was just really funny and it's it's probably it's (laughs) another one of my favorites just because in five or six minutes you know exactly who all three of these characters are and it's just you know it's 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 the testament to uh just i think really solid writing oh yeah
0: most definitely um, KJ, did you have anything else to in- interject two, about, about two any other
6: questions? Things? Just two final questions before we get into the taxi driver discussion because I'm really anxious for that discussion myself. So am I. <laughs> but, um, I have one for Mr. Cox and one for uh, Mr. Antonio, and I'll be done. I, I guess I go ahead and start with Mr. Cox. The first, the last question I will ask you is just simply, what is the most personal role that you've taken on? that really kind of had an effect on you or still has possibly an effect on you even
1: to this day wow um well i have to say to be alone which is uh another film that i did with uh matt mahler which i did just a couple of months ago and uh it didn't even occur to me until i just thought about it recently while watching the film um one of my brothers uh passed away at the start of the year and you know this is a movie that um it's about a man who's dealing with grief and uh kind of has issues with questions I guess his faith and with religion and things like that and I think that's something that I can certainly relate to um and and I didn't consciously think of my brother's uh passing or anything when i was doing the film but uh you i when i watch the film i look at you know there are moments when i look at that and yeah. you know you see i see like kind of the sunken eyes you know um yeah i mean i i would say of recently that's probably one that's that's very very personal uh Just because, I mean, that's another example. I don't speak a line of dialogue in that movie, but I hope that I'm able, you know, through a look or body language that you're able to convey this man's anguish and grief and sadness and and anger, too. So, uh, yeah, I think that's definitely the most personal one, uh, certainly of the recent things I've done.
6: Uh, My condolences to you.
1: Thank you Um, very much. Thank you.
6: And my last question for Mr. Antonio is kind of like a two and one. Um, the first part of it is, if you did have a forty-plus million dollar budget, what short film or even even your feature night job? I mean, which film would you choose that you have already done, not something that you could be planning or in the future? Which one would you actually revisit with a forty-plus million dollar budget and actually remaster
3: or make over again? Wow, that's, that's a good question. I, I've only done a few things. Uh, are you guys hearing me? Oh, yeah. yeah we're clear. Okay, sorry, I can't hear myself. All right, so that's a good question. So I did this one uh, short film called A Dizzy Affair, and I did another one called Exits, and I'd probably go back and do Exits. Exits was about – it's a psychological thriller about uh, students at a school. So I kind of took uh, John Hughes' uh, The Breakfast Club, and I made it into sort of a psycho horror and I think I'd probably want to um, – I had written a whole big production for it, but I couldn't shoot it with the budget I had. But I had this um, idea for that to be a really cool, gory horror slasher, uh, psychological uh, thriller. So I'd probably go back and do eg- exits for sure.
6: And the second part of the question would just be, as we end on this note, is just, like, what advice or what thoughts would you give to, I mean, people who are – trying to get in the film, people who are currently in it they could be struggling. Like, What's the advice that you would give for those still striving on to get to a certain point within their own careers? All
3: right. Uh, yeah, thank you for asking. And shout out to everybody who's listening, whether you're watching the rebroadcast or currently listening. Thank you so much. Uh, I think everyone tells me the same thing, just keep going. But I think there's a lot more going on. You definitely have to kind of always study the business. When I studied everyone that made it, I found out that there's a whole bunch of people in the race and the individuals who stand out by doing one thing that's different or ahead of everyone else are the ones who really leave their mark. For instance, I'm a doorman. There's tons of doormen in New York city working. I'm the only one that's making a movie. So naturally I get a lot of attention from the press because Out of this community, I'm the only one. Same thing when I was at John Jay College. I was the only student that wanted to make films. I'm sure there were others, but no one was really pushing it. And so what I want to say to all of you guys is you got to look at how you can be the only one that can shift and be different amongst so many people. Everybody wants to make a movie. What is it about your movie is going to turn someone from looking one direction towards you? And you have to look within yourself and find out, don't. Tr- I mean, everyone can do a genre film. Everyone's going to do a horror. Everyone's going to do an action. But you want to, amongst that genre, you have to find that intimate story that's about you that's going to turn people's heads towards you. And I think that's what uh, people need to understand is you've got to know yourself before you begin exposing y- yourself to the world. You've got to know what you stand for, who you are, and what, you, what you're trying to be. I know who I am. I'm a blue-collar guy who wants to enter the film business amongst the elite who went to the best schools, who have financing from their families and friends. I don't have any of that. All I have going for me is I want to tell the story for the everyday Joe, the blue collar guy, of what our struggles are. And that's me. That's what I'm good. That's what my movies are going to be, who my movies are going to be dedicated to. So that's what I think everyone needs to, don't look on the TV screen at the Oscars and think that you're going to be that person. No, you need to be yourself amongst everyone else. So that's, that's my advice much respect
0: Antonio and Mr. Cox
3: thank you both for
0: thank you very much alrighty uh, now we're uh, getting to uh, the, the discussion on uh, Martin Scorsese's uh,
2: uh,
1: Scorsese Scorsese I, I, I never knew
2: that guy gotcha <laughs> <laughs> Scorsese um, uh,
0: from 1979 starring Robert De Niro uh, 1976 uh, yep 1976.
2: Swing um, and a miss.
0: <laughs> Jodie Foster.
2: Uh, six. Harvey Keitel. Jodie Foster.
0: 70. Harvey Keitel. And uh, separate, baby. many other Last definitely pick. different uh, actors and actresses. Uh, so um, uh, because uh, you guys are from New York, I'm going to start with y- uh, you guys. Um, uh, uh, Jay, uh, why don't you uh, tell me... Uh, what this film uh, uh, means to you when you first saw it. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, go ahead. Uh, what, uh, what, 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 you, what were your thoughts on the film?
3: So I'm hanging with my homie one day. My uh-huh. friend, um, later we found out he was schizophrenic or something, but I don't know why he wanted to see this movie. So we're teenagers, and he says, Jay, let's go see the movie Taxi Driver. <laughs> and I was like, what? He said, yeah. So we go to the video store back when they had video stores, and we get a cassette tape. And the tape is so old and beat up that we could barely watch the movie, but we watched it really slowly. <laughs> you know, rewinding, tracking, remember tracking on the VCR? So we had mm-hmm. to watch this taxi driver because my friend wanted to watch it. I, I, I still don't know why, but I, later on, he, it made <clears> sense. <throat> So the impression I first got in Taxi Driver was, holy shit, there's a part of New York that's really crazy that I didn't know about. <laughs> I grew up in the 90s, and I grew up with, like, gangs and stuff and that, and that kind of stuff, but I only heard stories about what happens in New York and Times Square. When you're in Queens, a lot of guys don't leave their borough. If you were born in the Bronx or grew up in, in Brooklyn, sometimes you don't even leave and go to Manhattan. So Manhattan was this mysterious place where we never knew what really happened over there. So when we saw Taxi Driver, we were like, holy smoke. There's a lot of drugs and hookers over there. <laughs> so uh, that was my first impression. Then I rewatched it once, you know, I started studying film and I had to say this. said, watch the great. So I had to watch a lot of Scorsese movies. And um, uh, second time watching it, it really, it really moved me with his camera work and his scoring and how uh, the characters were, were, were so smooth. Um, they, you know, they didn't overact. You know, they, they, there are some scenes where I wished uh De Niro would have really just exploded that's why I always say Pacino would have been so much better <laughs> he turned he turned it down right he turned it down wow wow yeah he turned I- it down
1: <laughs> Dustin Hoffman turned it down and the funny thing is Paul Schrader wrote this for Jeff Bridges yeah.
3: oh wow Jeff Bridges that Amazing. would have been
1: interesting but yeah i mean just interesting to hear that kind of thing
3: <laughs> but but right Right now, it's just um, – it, it, for me, it, it just encapsulates what New York was and, and wh- how it, – it, it, between the people, things haven't shifted because there's still jealous husbands out there. Like uh, when, when Scorsese takes on the role as the man in the cabbie who wants to <laughs> go <out laughs> his life for cheating on him. They, they, although the times have changed where we've evolved with technology and there's so many um, different issues that we're going through now, that story – still stays the same where there's this um, identity issue with, amongst people where there, there's a disconnect and there are those who, who try to understand what's going on around them. And to this day, I don't think that'll ever, you know, change going forward. There'll always be the, the, circumstance, the circumstance of people who don't ca- quite catch up with the evolution of technology and, and changes. So I, that's why the film always connects to me as an outsider.
0: Okay. Um, Tim, um when did you first see the film?
1: Uh, and you know, um, wow. I, uh, so my, I'm old enough to uh, remember, and you guys remember the RCA video disc? It was the thing that came out right before uh, VHSs. And my beta. parents would have uh, almost like beta. And um, they were just these big kind of like records. And you just you, you slide the disc in, you pull the lever, and then it would come on. And so that's how whenever my parents would go out, I'd be like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna go watch an R-rated movie." So that's how I. So that's why I first watched Chinatown, The Godfather, all of these movies. And the first time I saw Taxi Driver, I think I was nine years old. I don't remember anything about it because um, I just remember th- on the cover of the RCA was a picture of Robert De Niro, and he was ho- he had a he was holding a gun, and so I I saw it at nine and I remember it was just obviously like a very violent movie. And when I saw it again in high school, uh, because high school, one of the things that I would always do, I would always, you know, and when I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, you can go to a video store and, uh, you could rent, uh, movies for classic movies for 99 cents. So I would go in and I would just get a stack of movies. And what I would do, I would pick like a particular actor And one night, you know, whether it's Paul Newman or, you know, James Mason or something like that. And one night I picked like De Niro one weekend. And so watch like Bang the Drum Slowly and Mean Streets, Taxi Driver. And of course, Taxi Driver, you know, is the one is I think when Robert De Niro his the first line of his obituary is probably going to be, I think, this movie. I think even, I mean, as as brilliant as he is in so many movies like Raging Bull, I think, you know, I mean, even just if if the film didn't have the you talking to me scene, this film because this film catapulted him into the stratosphere of light, and he he changed film acting. Oh, yeah. I mean, like like Brando did with uh, Streetcar, and so and I and I guess since that time, I've probably seen the movie altogether maybe about ten times. I go back every you know, a couple of years and just rewatch it. And it just gets better and better because it came out the year I was born. And, you Mm know, you know, I'm 40 and that movie just turned 40 and it just gets, you learn and you discover things every, every time I watch it, like just, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I I love like the trivia of all of the stuff, like the making of the films, like that De Niro, you know, he actually mm-hmm. got his cabby license and would do 15 hour shifts just to mm-hmm. get just to do that little bit of extra just to get into the guts of of this guy. Now, he's got some balls because riding a, a, a taxi in 1976, New York, when, you know, mm-hmm. we were only a couple of years removed from new york city in 1973 the entire state was broke um not long after taxi driver came out (laughs) we had the son of sam killings and the worst heat wave in williamsburg brooklyn and probably there were people looting the streets
0: every young punk wearing a mohawk
1: yeah so so this so when this movie came out it came out at a time when like around the time when death wish came out and the french connection where it, it, you gotta be very careful when you watch this movie because people, when they watch this movie, they think Travis Bickle is a hero. He's most definitely <laughs> not. He's not, I mean, in the end of that the movie, when Sybil Shepard gets in the cab and she gets out and he has that wonderful shot and looks away, he's he's not cured, he's not healed. I mean, it's it's ultimately a very, very sad, obviously a very, very sad story. I mean, just about this, you know, a man, you know, dealing with what, well, we know today is post-traumatic stress disorder but back in 1975 76 when paul schrader was writing this that was a phrase that just wasn't in you know the public's mind and mm-hmm. perception so but now it's a movie that i mean you go back and you just you, you watch it again and again and again and it's just it just never gets boring
3: there's a funny story about uh De Niro and scorsese when they were uh, doing research for the movie they would ride together in taxi cabs. And one time, uh, a known actor hopped in the back of the cab and he saw De Niro. And De Niro had just won the Academy Award <laughs> for The uh, for Godfather Part Two. And he goes to me, what, what's going on? He goes to De Niro, what's going on? You just won the Academy Award and now you're driving in cabs? <laughs> <laughs> and De Niro yeah. goes, it's the research. The guy goes, oh, I know, I know. We, we all been there. We all been there. That's what we all say. We all say, yeah, it's research. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, hey, real quick aside, did anybody notice that Death Wish was on the marquee in one of the scenes? Yeah. they outside a theater? Yep. Oh, I missed that. Yeah.
0: I think I noticed that on, on one of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the marquee uh, signs. Uh, uh, speaking of which, uh, uh, Dustin,
2: what, what uh, your first time or uh, uh,
0: seeing the film or?
2: Um, well, I saw it for the, at, I first saw it at around four o'clock today, <laughs> um, so it was hard to, first things first, I've only ever seen De Niro as an old man, so mm. it was pretty, uh, it was pretty startling, um, I did not recognize him right away. <laughs> I know who that is oh okay um but it was pretty cool uh I can see why it was like such a lauded classic and a lot of a lot of things weren't necessarily spelled out for you you had to kind of infer them like with yeah. the PS, like with the post with the PTSD um uh, and it seemed to be a movie that didn't really have like a narrative per se it's just kind of you're going to follow this character around for a while um and sort of experience whatever's wrong with him. Like, I I think in my notes, I wrote down mental illness because there was clearly something wrong with him. Uh, And so overall, I mean, it was good. And I'm really glad I saw it. And if I see the Collector Edition Blu-ray around town, um, I might just pick it up. (laughs) Okay,
0: Uh, Katie. was uh, this your first time seeing the film or uh, did you see it s- uh, s- uh, somewhere else? Or What well, were your uh, thoughts on the film?
4: <laughs> this was my first time actually sitting and watching it from start to finish. Um, back when I was younger, my brother was a fan of this movie and I think probably now having watched it all the way through, he was probably a fan of it because of all the firearms that were in it. He was a gun guy. so um, He used to... Be into the movie, and I never sat down and watched it with him. So when I saw that this was coming up, I thought good excuse for me to sit down and watch the movie. And mm-hmm. um, I have to admit that the Joe Spinell cameo in the beginning had me immediately thinking like this was going to go like a direction like Maniac, something uh, <laughs> way more twisted. Yeah, something way more twisted than what I joke- ended up. <laughs>
0: I believe um, that but, Joe Spinelli actually had a writing credit uh, too in the film. Uh, I, I was looking at the credits as well, so uh, so if you scroll through the um um somewhere, sure.
4: Clock well, and I think the um,
0: universe.
2: That
4: was <laughs> yeah, I think I, I've watched too much too many horror movies lately, and then also I just picked up um, on Saturday when I was with trauma. I picked up the last horror film and Joe Spinelli's in that too, and I watched that. So I kind of had this like crazy idea i thought the travis character was going to get a lot crazier than he did he was actually kind of conservative in the crazy department um but overall i liked the movie um, I would definitely watch it again and probably catch some of the things that I missed. Um, I most enjoyed young Harvey Keitel because I don't think I've ever seen him young before. I had seen De Niro young, and I, I knew that, but um, I don't think I've ever seen a young Harvey Keitel. So that was interesting. His pimp character and his big, long um, pinky nail was very yeah. amusing. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, overall, I liked I liked the movie. I liked the direction that it went, and I can see now all these years later why my brother liked it so much.
0: <laughs> all righty. Um, Dane, uh, why don't you uh, tell uh, uh, tell us when you first saw the film and uh, um you felt about it recently, watching it? I know it's one of um, your favorites.
5: Yes. Um, I saw the film, I want to say, like, freshman or sophomore year of college, and I immediately... Fell in love with it. It um, it's a hands down one of my my it's one of my three favorite Scorsese films of all time. The other two being uh, The Last Temptation of Christ and Hugo. Um, I absolutely love Taxi Driver because I think it is. Say that The Godfather is the greatest film of the '70s, but I would say Taxi Driver is for the simple reason that it's actually about the '70s. It's about moral moral decay, societal decay. It's about very much about politics on a street level. Um, It's about a person struggling to do the right thing amidst a society that has completely fallen apart, and how does one do- that's a common theme in Scorsese's films. How does one- what is the right thing to do? And often it's a very spiritual thing. What is the, the spiritually right thing to do amidst a world that is animalistic and chaotic and where the- directions of what to do and the lines of right and wrong are not always so clearly defined. That's a very common theme in his films and Taxi Driver really shows that off very beautifully. Plus the fact that it's about someone who on the one hand wants to save a child prostitute from her, from her pimp and wants to clean up the streets but at the same time is wanting to kill a politician because of the fact that a girl spurned him. So it's not all that far off from Mark David Chapman. It's not all that far off from um, John Hinckley and
2: John Hinckley,
5: uh, um other shooters. Yeah, and, I mean,
2: intimately related to this.
5: Well, and the yeah, well, and the fact of the matter is that his mentality is not all that far off from some of the people that we're seeing in the streets now, uh, in the wake of uh, Charlottesville and all that. Mm-hmm. Granted, he's not uh, you know neo-Nazi or anything, but the point is that when one perceives that one's society is falling apart then that makes someone mad and oftentimes that resorts to violence and then the question is who's the target of that violence and uh, was uh, Tarantino when talking about this film was saying that uh, the film itself has been decried as being racist which he disagrees with he feels like it's not a racist film but it's a film about a racist which I never really quite got the racist angle sp- Explicitly, other than most of the people that he's not happy with happen to be black, but um, I don't really feel like that any other race, I feel like he'd feel the same way, but you know, that's also not very clear and it's deliberately open to interpretation. But um, I think that it is the, in my opinion, it's the best film of the 70s because it's all about the complete societal and political upheaval of the decade, and I think it only continues to get more relevant the more that our society continues to divide itself along political and racial lines.
2: Which as a problem, my mind, as is a like, counterpoint, I'd have said alien or probably anything else.
3: Uh, I still K-J. do believe... Taxi oh, yeah. driver lost. No, Taxi Driver
5: lost the picture. Yes, it did. Uh, that 1976 had uh,
1: Network Rocky Taxi Men.
5: Yeah, it had a lot of great, great films. Well, I mean, taxi- Network had more. Network had a huge inspiration on me personally from the script level. Um, I think Taxi Driver, impressive film overall. Out of all most, the most impressive film, out of all those in terms of just the overall. Screenwriting, filmmaking, artistic significance, and all that. Rocky's obviously the most beloved because it's inspirational and it's very... The underdog, they scripted. like that. Yeah, and it's a, and it, all three of those are masterpieces in their own way. Um, I do think Taxi Driver has continued to have the most resonance and uh, is among Scorsese's best works uh, to date.
0: Um KJ um when did you uh, see, when did you see the uh film first um and what was your reaction to mm-hmm. seeing it recently
6: um i just hope i don't get too long winded um <clears throat> Bring it know, on but i first saw a taxi driver probably about I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago, I saw it on, like, TCM late night. I didn't even get a chance to really even watch the movie. It was just certain scenes in the movie. And I see De Niro, and, I mean, I'd already loved De Niro as a kid from Once Upon a Time in, the, in, in, in America, uh, Godfather Part Two. I mean, I loved De Niro for a long time. My mother loves him. So I had to kind of watch him growing up. But when I saw Taxi Driver, I actually saw it kind of like a double feature, watching Taxi Driver and Serpico. Oh, Wow. Changing. That's Which a is night That's East. a good night of movies. Yeah, that's not in the 70s. <laughs> I mean, um, and both of them are in New York, actually. It's funny, but um, both of them are in New York and show two sides of life. But <clears throat> when you watch this movie, I mean, when I first saw it, it was like watching, like kind of like a dream. I've only watched the movie fully through one time. It's like watching kind of like a nightmare to some degree. It's In my opinion, it's like watching a nightmare because you see the inside of this guy's mind. It's like you're kind of just watching Travis Bickle I mean I think it's one of the best character studies to come out of the 70s or period in film but the one thing I also thought about I haven't heard anyone say it but it's also kind of like a New York western because Scorsese has often cited The Searchers as being his inspiration
1: yeah
2: I can see that Um,
6: and if you actually look at Travis Bickle Travis Bickle is kind of like the 70s version of Ethan Edwards from The Searchers by Ford Um, both of them are racist both of them um, although Ethan Edwards in the searches by Ford is much more visible, I mean, compared to uh, Travis, but if you look at Travis character, I mean, he's so much of an introvert. He's so hidden to the point where you only see like spurts of all of this stuff start to come out of him. But I was looking up on YouTube, a few videos about, you know, criticism about the film. And the one thing I saw from one guy who was talking about the masculinity in this film, um... Scorsese did an interview with Roger Ebert in '76, and Ebert was asking him about the character, and he said that um, Travis Bickle's character suffered from the goddess whore complex. Speaking more so of the Sybil Shepherd and the uh, Jodie Foster character, um, and he said, "The goddess whore complex. You're raised to, you're raised to worship women, but you don't know how to approach them on a human level, on a sexual level. Yep. That's the thing with Travis, the Nero character, the taxi yeah. driver." the girl he falls for, the Sybil Shepherd character, it's really important that you know, she's a blonde, a blue-eyed goddess. And then I was reading some other stuff um, <clears throat> about the goddess horror complex, which is from Sigmund Freud. Um, men cannot achieve love in an intimate relationship. Um, it has to be sexual. And um, that was the one thing I really liked about the movie, outside the violence. It was really the scenes with Sybil Shepherd and Jodie Foster watching those interactions with De Niro. And then because it was like, at least, especially with this, um, not Jody, but um, Sybil, it was like watching a guy really try to get back into a society that he once knew, but the war took it away from him. And he was, I mean, because there was that one scene where he's in the office when they're doing a political thing, and he has that guy's stickers all over his wall, and the only reason he's doing it is because of her. So I think it's just mm-hmm. a very good movie. It's a masterpiece in the 70s, and um, yeah, I just think it's great. So.
3: Wouldn't it be interesting I if think... uh, Albert Brooks had a breakdown instead if we just followed his character, he had the crush on Sybil Shepherd, and all of a sudden he, <laughs> De Niro and De Niro gives him some ammunition and says, this is what I learned in the war and we see Albert Brooks break down instead of the end. Albert goes from that little throat to the guy in the mohawk. Oh, and then, uh, <laughs> then he turns into
6: his
5: character from
6: Drive. But there's one thing when I want to ask the question <laughs> and that was the ending. Like, what did, he, did you guys think that the ending was actually real? or was a part of his own kind of imagination. Travis, as he zones out, probably dying. I, I, I actually thought of the, go ahead. I thought
0: that
1: uh, was totally real. I, I think the ending is totally real. I think when he, uh, you know, when he gets the letters, uh, you know, from uh, Jodie Foster's parents and he goes back, he's not, it's going to happen again. If the movie went on for another hour or two, it, it would happen again. And, you know, in the newspapers, you know, he's, you know, he's called a hero and stuff like that. But it's like, I to echo what I said before. He's not. I mean, he's, he's, uh, a, and, uh, sure. and so I think it, it was totally, it was totally real, you know, and totally, uh, uh, definitely. Because if that went right. on for another hour or so, it's kind of like, oh, God, well, what's he going to do next? Because he's a ticking time bomb. I think that's, that's what mm-hmm. Travis is.
6: I do want to say one thing that I read, though, because you said something about him not being a hero. Most people say he's an anti-hero. I don't think he's a hero either. But another criticism that I read about the character was his avengement, which is towards is in the end of the movie. His avengement is spurred on by altruism to rescue them, as far as Jodie Foster, from oppression. But in reality, his attempts are larger attempts to display his masculinity towards the aggressors in his life. Sport played by Harvey Cattell and those guys, and since he is rejected, he resorts to showing his masculinity in a psychosexual way in the form of violence. Do you agree with that?
5: Forget that he's about to kill Charles Palantine uh, because Sybil Shepherd uh, rejects, rejects him. him. So he's mm-hmm. so he's taking out his sexual frustration on somebody who. See, I don't really think have it's
0: a... just Sybil Shepherd that uh, that he's um, uh, he's going after Palantine for. Because uh, while I was watching the film, he was he was actually following the of of Palat uh, Palantine, not just uh, be, uh, not just because um, of Sybil Shepherd anymore. He was actually watching his speeches. So to me he was actually getting a little bit more into the political thing. But on the same side, in the same spectrum, I believe that um, he, was, he was also starting to think that Palatine wasn't doing things as fast as he thought he should be, especially because of that uh, talk that he had in the uh, taxi cab. Um,
5: which, which uh, if, oh, I may say, if, if I may say so, that scene is one of my favorites in the film and yet i think it's really borderlining on being a crippling contrivance of the film but the the dialogue is so perfect that it almost doesn't matter right, it's because it's incidental. <laughs> it was you know the the person running for president happens to stop in an ordinary cabbies cab and not you know because isn't it true that you get like a certain amount of uh backing then you get Secret Service protection and that sort of stuff. Um so it just was like, oh gee, that's awfully convenient. But again, the conversation they have is that it's like, oh well, I guess it doesn't matter anymore. Maybe uh, the
1: were looser in the seventies.
5: Yeah. Ruff. Maybe they were
1: I, I don't know. See I think that I scene suck. in the cab I think that scene in the cab is very important because that's when you start to see Travis really Start to uh, fully unravel, I think, you know, like, uh, mm-hmm. and I think that's, well, yeah. I mean, and that's, and it's just the amazing thing is the, uh, you know, tra- I mean, I don't think the guy who plays Palantine, I think he may be, I think he may say like four or five words, and it's just De Niro just going off. And it's just like, I, every time I watch him, I'm like, oh my God, Travis, you were coming off so crazy right now. <laughs> but Anyone it's, know
5: anything? Oh, ahead, which, which, not to get, overly political on you but then you but then you find out about like the undercurrent feelings that different members of you know ordinary society can have and then you have a candidate like well like Trump let's say I mean it doesn't have to be Trump but that's just a recent example of somebody who exacerbates the hidden anger of um the quote-unquote forgotten americans or whatever and then you might hear something like that from your cab driver from the checkout guy or whatever something may not have that they may not have talked about uh which again is not to be overly political or not to say that that's the feelings of everybody that voted that way but the point is if you have any candidate any kind of uh political figure any political player any potential demagogue who stirs up the feelings of the people to such a degree that um people who are ordinary citizens or appear to be then they the anger the resentment the irrationality gets uh absolutely and uh stirred up to the point where ordinary people start to t- sound like lunatics yeah. and uh, in this case it's not all that different, except in that case, it's more of uh, the side effects of war than anything else, but the uh, the trigger points are not that... Uh...
2: ...are not that clear, or...?
5: Yeah, well, the meaning that uh, the uh, the point at which Travis Bickle is starting to go over the edge is not all that different from the point at which someone in, in our modern real life may potentially go over the edge, but in his case, I think it was more the side effects of war than it was about somebody exacerbating their undercurrent and giving legitimacy to their undercurrent feelings of anger or resentment towards people that they don't even know.
0: One of the things that I noticed about the fi- uh, film is uh, how the, uh, the camera kind of angled on De Niro's eyes, and uh, De Niro's eyes are very expressive. And uh, 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 just the shadow of uh, of uh, the angles, uh, 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 like in the end scene where you see that um, uh, at Sybil Shepherd's character. Now, I uh, would actually first seen Sybil Shepherd in the last picture show, mm-hmm. and That's uh, uh huh, and um, seeing uh, seeing her, her uh, she's a little bit older, not not by much, but a little bit um because i believe that film was done earlier but uh yeah um, 19, about- 1971 yeah. Yep, and um i uh i basically uh almost didn't recognize her either because i haven't seen her in, in, in quite some time but uh um i think that uh when he looked up at her with uh, with, uh his shady glance of eyes and there, uh, there was a beginning scene that, uh, 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 that he was doing, uh, uh, doing that too, um, where they just kind of focused in, in on his eyes. I think, I think the, uh, the, uh, the way the camera, um, just caught that, uh, emotion that was in his glance, um, while he was narrating it in the story was, uh, definitely intelligent throughout the film. Um, uh, because not only uh, do you get to see inside the mind of uh, this obviously uh, unwinding um, psychotic nature of his later on in the film, um, but um, you get you get to see
2: more of an emotion without words. So oh, he says so, uh, to me, "That's."
6: what <laughs> I do want to say something. Are we talking
2: there. about at in the beginning or in the last scene with him and her in the cab? Kind of, kind of both, because because uh, he he didn't
0: really s- have a lot of speaking speaking parts. He did uh, did a lot of uh, monologue while he was uh, writing in his journal. Uh, you know he he was um, he was explaining most of this that had already happened. So uh, so uh, uh, to, uh, to me, seeing so, uh, uh, some of the uh, the the ways that uh, that he glanced. Uh, just the way that uh, that the camera uh, caught his eyes—that's that's what I noticed.
6: I didn't want to so. say something like that. Thinking about that last scene when he does look at her in the rear mirror, because one thing I say about the '70s period—I mean, you could say it for a whole bunch of movies Uh it's very pessimistic because of the time period just coming out of World War II. I mean, I think once Rocky came out, that's kind of when movies kind of went back to having a happy ending. But when you do see Sybil Shepherd yeah, in,
2: in
6: Vietnam, yeah, um, but when you do see Sybil Shepherd in that rear view mirror. It's almost as if he's watching like the last form, but also he's watching a dream that he kind of wants. But now he knows for sure. Yeah, I really can't have that dream anymore because now I'm basically I am who I am. So when the camera does cut back to his eyes looking into the mirror, I mean, I was just me basically thinking like, okay, now Scorsese is reminding us. Okay, this guy isn't going to change. In the, same. the
0: ending kind of, it, it kind of happened. It, 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 to me, it kind of seemed like it was almost like he was being haunted by her. Uh, mm-hmm. That Because uh, uh, suddenly she was in the car, you know. Yeah, like she was just tone. there. You didn't see her step or anything like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, you didn't see her in the back. So to me, it kind of left me, whether it was real or unreal, that blast, you know, doing
2: Apparently, I have a I'd totally like to... different interpretation of that than you guys. Um, <laughs> like, I turned it as, it's like, oh, hi. You know, I can talk to you and not freak freak out. I've turned a corner. I'm maybe going to be okay. Like, I, I, didn't get, I didn't get any of this, like, gloomy ending stuff that you guys did. I'm pretty surprised.
1: See, I, that's where I get, you know, that... Um... again it's it's you look in his eyes when he you look when he looks in the mirror after she gets out you just see his eyes and i said he might even be more dangerous now than now because um he 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 knows what he's capable of he knows what he can can do i mean um it's just interesting watching the trajectory of of him Mm -hmm. throughout the course you know like um, he actually he's very shy and awkward, but as the time <laughs> goes on, the film goes on. Like when he's talking to the secret service agent, he's not awkward at all. He is totally in command and control, which I kind of think means that the delusions have taken over.
3: And I think, when he and I shepherd to go on a date with him. When he walked into the room, he was very in control. <laughs>
1: Oh, into the political when he goes on the date?
3: Yeah. When, you know, when he set, walked into the office and said, you know, come around the corner, have ice cream and pie or something with me. Is... See, that's the thing. Is, mm-hmm.
1: See, I thought that was a performance.
3: Ah, OK. I,
1: I thought that was Travis, a performance, um, like a self-assurance. It's like, like, I mean, of course, you know, common sense, like we're all if we go on a date we're going to go to a movie we're not going to take him to an x rated movie but oh, yeah. he is he just social uh, awareness uh you know uh the awkwardness the social awareness the no no interaction with um with women i if we want to get into it, i can't imagine that he has a very strong bond with we never learn anything about his uh his parents or anything like that but no no um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they his family. Thought, all. Yeah, that is a good point. I thought
0: that that uh, that date was a very, uh, a very good sh- uh, showing uh, that he really had no, um, no honest uh, idea of uh, where to, uh, where to actually wait, 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 take was, on the first date, because to was, him that theater was the only theater that uh, uh, that he could probably afford. Uh, uh, that he probably knew was was film you know so he had a very low um maybe intelligence about the uh, culture. The, theatric, uh the theater and, culture and
6: i do want to say something about that too i mean even with his low morale with doing that i mean the one thing i said about travis uh most of those characters was he was probably the realist because sybil shepherd's character was the superficial um, Jodie Foster would we'll go with any moment. I mean, he was the realest person, and he just kind of kept it on his sleeve, that's the one thing I'd say, I mean, that was a funny yeah. scene, but I mean, he was real about it, that's the one thing i say about his character. Well,
2: uh, I know, I've known people who do, like, who have, like, kind of odd hobbies, sort of like that, too, um, like, earlier we saw him in a scene where he was just, like, at the theater, just, like, watching it as a movie, like, Literally as a movie, he didn't seem to get any kind of like sexual pleasure or anything from it. Like,
1: see, that's uh, the thing is, it, I don't it, think, yeah. I don't think he's a guy who has those kinds of cravings, urges. I think you know, right. he look, he looked at Sybil Shepherd not as something sexual, but like as like a, a conquest. Like, I got the blonde-haired, blue-eyed. I mean, Sybil Shepherd was gorgeous, and I mean, I was in those days, you know, Mm -hmm. when she was absolutely gorgeous. Um, Well, and that's what I think he was taken more with. Okay, you know, the beauty, and then more than in like, oh God, I this is someone I want to sleep with, or or maybe her innocence.
2: Well, he made the comment that like he was like that girl
0: that you could never touch, but he was able to, uh, you know, uh, 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 because she was uh, above. uh, you know, kind of kind of the, like that girl that was out of reach, you know? Yeah. Uh, like I thought you were weird to yeah, me was kind of the
2: impression I got. By, from by a simple
0: see. conversation and interjection, he finally walked in and gave, gave a speech, so
2: to
5: speak. So. Uh, and how... But, and how uh, oh, sorry.
3: Go ahead.
1: Oh, anyone? Go ahead. No, I'm good. You were going to say something? Okay. Um, Say it. The uh,
5: the scene that I um, wanted to talk about that I thought nobody ever really talks about when they talk about Taxi Driver was the one that Scorsese himself was actually in. It's such a kind of random scene and yet I think it's really yeah. important to the th- themes of the film because it's a random encounter. It's a really tense, creepy encounter. But what it tells the audience is that Travis isn't the only one who's about ready to explode that in fact his sentiments are shared by ordinary denizens of New York and presumably the country at that time, that people who are just put down by the stresses of ordinary life and by the failure to connect with people, the failure to have those meaningful relationships in the wake of national and personal crises are, you know, one step away from resorting to violence. And so then that's part of what formulates Travis's bad ideas in his head is that he sees that he's not the only one that, in fact, you know, this, who we know as Scorsese, but, you know, he wants to kill his uh, wife, her lover, and wants to, to, you know, mutilate her body in horrible ways with a gun, which, of course, is a phallic symbol there. Um, But it just... It shows that the ordinary person can be pushed uh, to monstrous levels beyond recognition when pushed far enough when the personal stresses of life push them to that place. And uh, nobody ever really talks about that scene, at least none that I've heard, but I thought it was wonderful.
3: Did you catch him when Sybil Shepard was first on screen and uh, he's sitting on the steps watching her walk by Scorsese? Yeah.
1: Yeah, in slow-mo.
5: Yeah,
3: Yeah. he he put himself right in there.
1: (laughs) It's a... um, That scene, I mean, just an example of like... I mean, I think the actor, the original actor, I think he got... uh, Who was hired for that part that Scorsese did. I think he had got sick on another film and Scorsese took it. And he's brilliant. He is... I mean, he is terrifying in that scene. And the way everything is all set up in that scene, like the way... Scorsese's lit and the how De Niro is silent. I mean, yeah. you, you really think like the, I remember, like very clearly the first time I saw it, you really thought that Scorsese was just going to get out of the car and the next thing you were just going to see a silhouette of him shooting, you know, his wife and whatever. And But I think it's a good point. I yeah, think that it, was really yeah. a sign of the times. I mean, this was Taxi Driver along with French Connection, and death wish this is and joe i mean this is a movie where a lot of the lead characters in this movie are under normal circumstances hateful psychotic people but these were people that were hailed as heroes when peter boyle Mm -hmm. peter boyle was mortified when joe if anyone knows the movie joe he did it in 1970 and it's the guy who directed Rocky, John Alvinson, who just passed away recently, mm-hmm. uh, Joe. He plays this uh, racist who he just starts going around and like you know he doesn't like uh, African Americans, doesn't like gays, doesn't like anyone who's fake, doesn't like anything politics, and he just kind of like along with him and like with Death Wish, uh, the age of the kind of the Vigilante, mm-hmm. you know, films. Mm-hmm. They're very yeah. popular. Yeah. I yeah, think we're gonna get. I think Taxi Driver, though, it delves into it, you know, deeper in a way where there are parts of the time when I watch the movie, like when he's on the date, um, where you just, you, you feel bad for him. You feel mm-hmm. like, this guy, he's just, I think, like, uh, there's a cluelessness about, like, uh, the way the world works, and, uh, but, uh, uh, but he's incredibly street smart. And I mm-hmm. think you know, in those days in New York, I think in that time, you know, I mean, that's what you had to be. One yeah.
3: thing, yeah. one thing,
1: yeah. one thing. Switching gears, you know, we we've talked about Sybil Shepherd. If anyone's ever read, I mean, this movie, you know, prior to this, all of Sybil Shepherd's films had all been her then boyfriend Peter Bogdanovich's films. This film was really a step up, and <sighs> and apparently uh she yeah was a pain in the ass to work with I guess like uh she was not the first choice of um of anyone and and I don't think De Niro was terribly happy with her the person I think who was oddly enough uh was the first choice would have been really interesting was Mary Steenburgen not a blonde but like uh, the complete opposite end of like of Sybil Shepherd, I just, was anyone, interesting. was anyone bothered by Sybil Shepherd's performance in the film?
6: Mm-hmm.
2: I was I, a little
6: I, bit. I just felt that she was kind of out of place. Quite like she a, a real
2: person. person. Like she was very distant, like in all the scenes she was in, like she, she wasn't, wasn't all there. there. I didn't
3: think I she was was
0: injured. Injured. didn't want to be there.
3: I, I felt she was from out of town. I don't know, felt like she was a natural New Yorker. I, I felt like she represented someone from the Midwest who was gradually like Finding out what what this life was like, so she's volunteering, and I kind of got got a different, a naive feel from her. That's what I got from her.
1: That's an interesting read. Maybe that was intentional that she doesn't fit into the landscape of Travis's world. And that's you what I thought it was
6: a dream to send it. It's like that's the dream. For factor, well, that
1: would kind of that would kind of sync
2: with what uh, at one point he says. You know, I thought you were different from the rest of them, and maybe that's something he's picking up on.
1: She's not from that environment. It's just interesting. I've read so many film reviews, and the one thing that they harp on that I've read in like ten or twelve reviews is why the hell did they cast Sybil Shepherd? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, but I mean, she does I, seem to be an
0: odd character uh, to uh, to put in in there. I mean, yes, she is very uh, very beautiful, and uh, oh. she. Plays the role up to a point, but uh, there's a point a point in the film where I feel like she's almost, um, almost she was out- like she, uh, uh, she
1: she was outclassed. She's there, I but think. she's not.
0: Yeah,
1: I think she's outclassed
0: know, by the uh, big heavy hitters in the film.
1: I don't think she had the, and I think one of the things like uh, they had to do that the diner scene that or uh, the ca- cafe scene that her and De Niro did, and you know De Niro he's he'll. He, he'll he run the scene over and over and over and over and over again before it goes in front of a camera. And she's probably, she probably just wasn't used to that. And also, Sybil Shepard had, was is not trained as an actress. She was, uh, she was a model. She was, oh, I think, wow. she, yeah, she, I think she did like, uh, how she was cast, I think, in Last Picture show is that, you know, Peter Bogdanovich and Polly Platt, uh, they saw this commercial and said, I want her. And of course, Peter Bogdanovich was in love with her. And then, of course, she just happened to be the innocence and Kiana naivete in Taxi Driver that worked for Last Picture Show because, mm-hmm. you know, that that's what the character of, of JC was. But, uh, Mike, here's another question. So we have a remake of Death Wish coming out with Bruce Willis. Bruce, Jesus Christ. Do we think <laughs> if, 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 if one, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine why anybody would, but it wouldn't surprise me if they remade <laughs> Taxi Driver. One, oh, it would just girl. be absolutely well, exactly. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me either, either. but it wouldn't work
6: because today, personally. it, wouldn't because it made them money
0: and they'd rather milk the cow. That's that's it'd be like
6: remaking back
2: to the
0: movie. can't do day,
6: it, it couldn't work because. That's just a different time period. like, And yeah. I get some of the things that happened in that time period are happening day, but that was nothing I wanted to bring up. Like, look at that 70s New York. You will never, ever see that again. And it's like, something that
1: you can't, a production a character. designer, you can't
6: it's remake. A character. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's a character. What? Like, in all those
6: movies, I mean, especially the movies that shoot on location back then. Like, you can't. You just can't like. I mean, even if you did things in Oklahoma or in the Midwest or even in LA, like a lot of those places are gone now. You can't remake certain things because they're just part of that time period. It's a dated
3: movie. I want to build my own taxi driver, but call it the streetcar vendor. The pedicab down. That's it. You can't.
1: The petty cab driver. Those guys are strong.
0: Things. Why not, a, why, why, why not a golf cart? Why not a golf
2: cart?
3: All right, guy breaks down on the golf course. He's tired of all the big heavy hitters giving him a hard time. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> cool you could so probably hard. do some modernation
2: with like an Uber driver or something. Like just somebody who does one of those who drives for like just apps or something, and like just try it's to t- push t- the story t- to modern
0: day. T-
1: Somebody, somebody's going to come along and flush all these apps away. <laughs> see,
0: that's, see, see, that's the thing. When you were make a fil- uh, film, you can t- uh, set it in any time, any time period. And it, it could be in like the, a futuristic time period or, or it could be like a, a, in a Wild West type of feel. You, you never know. But um,
2: Dana already made the connection to like the, the political undercurrents like of the time. To, to, to the political undercurrents of today, I mean, you could maybe any time
0: thing. that there is a political uproar anywhere, you could definitely watch this film and connect with it because there uh, there is definitely a political um, you know turn in in the film, and oh. I, th- away I, re- I think, re- think re- especially re- right re- right, re- now, re- right now in these uh, these days, it, it can it, I can definitely feel a connection to the Palantine. Um, you know,
1: well, we, were, we were talking a little about Network before, which is one of my favorite movies as well. Oh, yeah, there's Ch- there's mm-hmm. a rumored uh, stage production coming up that Brian Cranston okay. is going to take on the uh, the Howard Beale role, which is interesting because I mean, Patty Chayefsky was always very protective of his <clears throat> work. I mean, of course, and he died. If only he lived. I mean, he died in 1981. If he lived to see the advent of reality television and, of course, the first reality TV president, he would just be like, Arthur Jensen, Ed Beatty's character was right all along. And, you know, I think uh, it's amazing. Well, not to
5: mention, <laughs> even before that, not to mention the advent of cable TV and oh, sure. cable news.
1: Absolutely. Which was,
5: I mean, that 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 was... That was that show that became Howard Stern, that became Bill O'Reilly, that became Fox News and MSNBC. You know, that's it became all those things.
3: Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: I (coughs) love Dr. Dunaway's character. I like female characters who are who aren't so like naive. I like these strong women. I want to write these kind of characters where the woman takes control and she's more like ice cold. I, I, I get tired when they make these emotional women. And they make women out to be so, uh, I guess, beside emotional, just easily angered and easily hurt. I I like strong women that are like ice in their veins.
1: Well, and that's the thing as well. I
3: like like strong women too, but I don't think that
5: that necessarily has to mean that they're completely cold and icy. I mean, look at Wonder Woman. There was a strong female who had a wide range of emotions and – you know was very strong and inspiring and i was like okay finally we got a, yeah, hollywood has finally learned how to write women that are strong as women it's like wow, it took you forever but you finally learned how to do it
1: well that was well, another about, thing in well, the 70s sure you know another like thing is. in the 70s that was uh women roles were stronger in that time i mean i think of jill Clayburgh and an unmarried woman you know or Anything that Jane Fonda or Diane Keaton – I mean, the thing is, you know, I mean, Wonder Woman, it's a, it's a step in the right direction, uh, certainly. But I, I don't know if people are – film studios may not just be interested in, like, stories well, that is like, like – like,
5: the, the ones that you're talking about are the ones where you're talking about New Hollywood. You're talking about when the business model was pre-Jaws, pre-Star Wars, yeah. pre France pre franchise mentality back when actual um, stories
1: art. Storytelling. weren't
5: stories about human beings that weren't meant to be a world a franchise a multimedia thing um, it could just be good movies which is not to discount the present system for the ones of those that have worked but you know there was a time when something like taxi driver could be made by a big studio and all sure. that. Uh, and so the kinds of strong female roles you're talking about are uh, inevitably from a different time, a different business model then. Yeah.
1: Now it's all, about you know, stocks. You know, I mean, everything, it's all about, uh, you know, but how how is here. these Marvel films going to help the yeah. overall stock?
3: Yeah, studios are in trouble now. <laughs> they have to make a profit or else they're in trouble. They just, uh-huh. every movie has to be a big blockbuster that pushes their uh, stock price up.
5: Yeah, which, I mean, if you look at the current, uh, this this last summer's box office numbers, the uh, future of the current model is not doing so well. And if anything, we may be headed towards Mm -hmm. another, either potentially either new Hollywood era or just a complete paradigm shift where the independent filmmakers like uh, myself and a few other people here um, make it out
0: on top because pe- uh, people, well, like us, the old regime—the be-
5: old regime falls based on its own hubris. And well, uh, I mean, that's what uh, that's what my uh, that's what my collaborator and friend Lloyd Kaufman would say that the you know that the democratization of filmmaking has resulted in such a thing where you could go out and make your own taxi driver right now get it you know either self-distributed or get it uh through an independent distributor or even potentially make it in a major market but in some form but you can go out and make that personal movie person that's personal to you right now and is where well, and his famous words are if you make something that is good the public will find it which i firmly believe and uh so I think that the more that we, the filmmakers, the ones that care about film, the the more that we can contribute to the democratization of filmmaking, the more that we can uh, have the we we can stand tall while the old regime falls on the basis of its own hubris. Because Scorsese himself said that the cinema that he loved is no longer in existence because it's all kind of theme park rides now, which yep. is. Uh, Pretty true. Pretty pretty true. Granted, again, there's been plenty of good ones within that model, but at the same time, uh, what he and many other of the greats uh, that are still alive knew as cinema is not there. But that is where those of us who are the next generation will stand up to, to
1: those
5: who love those who love film as an art form can stand up and uh, be the next generation. Yeah.
1: All right. One- Oh, just, uh, we have one final thought. uh, You know, a discussion of Taxi Driver would not be, I don't think, complete without acknowledging Bernard Herrmann's score. Score. I mean, that was the last thing. I think he he scored it, and then I think he died before the film came out. I think. Um, But uh, I don't have the internet in front of me. But, uh, I mean, that, like, the score, I think, really adds... Because it just starts out as this nice breezy kind of jazz score, and then you're right, Timmy. You that know,
3: in 1975 in uh, December, you're correct.
1: Oh wow, yeah. And he, I mean, this was a guy who, like did all of Hitchcock's stuff, and uh, and I mean, of course, he was very hesitant about doing this, because of the content. But thank God he said yes, because I think that, like, it adds to like the city. You know, when he's driving in the cab, it just adds to it all. <laughs> Every time I hear it, it always like you know. At first, it's always, oh, it's kind of nice and pleasant. And then it (laughs) gets very dark very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) All righty.
0: Well, um, I think we definitely had a very good discussion here. I'm going to wrap it up here. So um, uh, I'm going to ask you uh, uh, both to kind of state a little bit about uh, who you are, what you do. And um, uh, 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 here at the end of the uh, show, we kind of tell what we do and uh, then we'll uh we'll uh end uh, end the show here so um uh go ahead uh jay antonio why don't you
3: uh, uh thank even you though you <laughs> thank you go all ahead. for having me uh it's been a pleasure talking about uh night job i'm sorry night job i told my taxi driver with all of you um i've listened to you guys beforehand so it was really cool um my name is Jay Antonio, I'm a writer director. I've got Night Job coming out November first, and I've got a studio called Sacred Nine Films, and we've got tons of movies coming out uh, the next several years. Rock and roll, awesome.
1: Um, Tim, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. Uh, again, thank you all for uh, listening. is happy to be a, a part of this, uh, we could go all night talking about movies oh, yeah. uh again uh, my, my name is uh, <laughs> uh my name is timothy j cox uh, i'm an actor and uh i'm on facebook at uh, official timothy j actor.com of course also my website timothy j cox.com uh update all of that uh you know regularly love to share and all sorts of like things about movies and keep up the date on uh, everything all things movies. I would love if there was a return to the filmmaking you know uh, the style I mean I'm a big Hal Ashby fan and he made like some of the best films of the 1970s last detail um, but uh, you know I'm optimistic I mean I love the fact that you know Netflix and Amazon seem to be doing some really stellar, uh work right now and you know just Definitely. keep doing uh just keep doing uh what i love and uh yeah just keep having a good time awesome um uh why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do um
0: where uh, um and uh a little bit about yourself
5: who me dame uh, oh me yeah we didn't get the first yeah, part oh, me um, the <laughs> point are out. asking me, okay? Um, <laughs> is, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll just go. So, um, I am Dane Kyle, independent uh, writer director, currently based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. You can find me and my work on <laughs> YouTube. Uh, you can check out my black and white German expressionist silent film *A which got a lot of positive reviews from. Peyton Reed, who directed Ant-Man, Lloyd Kaufman of Troma, uh, Charles Kyoto of the Kyoto Brothers, and a trailer for my upcoming film noir, The Big Blind. Uh, both of those are shorts, but I'm transitioning into features and my own TV show, Before Too Long. Um, you can connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you can find me. Uh, my YouTube channel is the Dane Kyle D-A-N-E. K-E-I-L. Stay tuned. That's where you can find all the latest updates, and you'll be seeing a lot of very important developments later this year, and especially next year when some of these projects that have been in development for a long time finally start to roll out, and that will be when things start to really get shaken up in the world of independent film.
4: woo Yeah, Katie,
5: um,
0: uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, what you do?
4: Sure. Uh, I'm Katie Cadaver. I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I'm a dead girl with Edgar's Dark Coffin Classics. I'm also an alternative model, and artist, and burlesque dancer here, based out of Milwaukee. Um, I have a couple of Facebook pages. Um, Katie Cadaver, that's Cadaver with a K, where you can find updates on my modeling and um, burlesque dancing and performing projects. And then also Third Eye Open, which is 3rd D E Y 0 pen That's where I share most of my artwork and um, the makeup work that I do for the horror punk band, Ratbat Spider. Um, and you can also find Dedger's Dark Coffin Classics on Facebook, YouTube, and Vimeo.
0: Awesome. Uh, Dustin, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do?
2: Oh, uh, well, uh, I go to UWM. I live in Milwaukee. Um, the only thing I really have to plug is I have an eBay store, i uh, 636 uh, Nothing is on there right now, but I basically live in a warehouse at this point and kind of have to get on there. So if you want to look at my extra horror movies and probably figures, uh, head on over. I suppose. Alrighty. I should have uh, thought. Um,
0: and KJ, <laughs> K-J um, why don't you tell uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? What you do?
6: Right now, I'm in college right now, going for an associate arts degree. Um, I am, you know, trying to dabble around, and write a little bit of a screenplay here, write a little bit of a screenplay there. Just trying to get consistent. Um, also, have my own group, Thomas Classic Movies, um, and that's really about it.
3: Um, okay.
6: Just trying to find my
0: way. Oh. Alrighty, thanks uh, for coming back on the show. Um, and uh, my name is David Stregi. I uh, I write uh, reviews for Movies Galore from Milwaukee, um, which I started about five years ago or so. Um, and uh, I also run a group where we talk about silent films too. In the current in, in, in development projects, um, lately it's been kind of de- dead there, and everybody just kind of posts. But you know. It, it is what is, but, uh, in any case, uh, you okay. have been on, uh, inside movies galore. This is a podcast, cast for, uh, talking about films and, um, hopefully to interview more, uh, directors and artists, uh, down the road. I'm also a somewhat, uh, small time producer. I'm currently producing several films at the moment, but, um, definitely keep a lookout for my name and, uh, um, We'll definitely keep in uh, uh, touch. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, uh, uh, Jay Antonio, for being on the show. It was a pleasure.
1: Thank
3: you, guys. Have a good good night. Good night. You too.